morning, Christ City Church. Hey, I'll take it. It's good to, good to see uh, you all. Thank you again uh, for those of you that uh, came out and served um, at uh, H Street. It's, H Street's really one of the, uh, it's just an, a, an amazing event that the city hosts. So good of you for coming out there and jumping in and passing out, um, I don't know, six or seven, eight tons of uh, popsicles. That was amazing. Um, my name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. Really glad uh, that you're here. Listen, I'm just going to jump in. Later this week, uh, we, we make a transition. Uh, we leave the summer behind and we move into a new season. Uh, September 22nd, actually, is the first day of fall. Um, and uh, this is actually quite a, a great time of year. It's a, I, I don't know, there's a kind of a refreshment and a renewal that happens. It's, it's not like a new calendar year where you get sort of to peel back a, you know, a page or whatever, but it is a time of year where we begin to, to, to restart some things in our lives. Kids are back in school and um, often our work and rest rhythms, they get reset after sort of the lazier days of summer. Um, we often return to more meaningful or return to meaningful habits that we've laid aside earlier in the year. And, and for some of us, myself included, I'll just tell you, uh, that includes some of the spiritual rhythms and habits that we may have had. Rhythms of, of coming to church for worship, of reengaging in personal times of prayer, finding a Bible study or, or small group. And if that's you, if that's if sort of the fall becomes a kind of a new season, what I want to say to you is, is that you're welcome and I'm among your number. Um, if you're using this new season to return to some of those habits that you have, uh, um, that have just been meaningful for you or that have fostered spiritual growth for you in the past, maybe you're returning to church for uh, the first time in a long time or exploring church or faith, um, I want to say to you that, that you're welcome. We're glad that you're here. We honor your journey and we pray that this could be a place where you experience God's embrace and God's welcome and God's delight over you. I pray that this fall, that you experience a depth of relationship with Jesus and a, a, a meaningful um, relationship with the Lord that is life-giving and that stirs restoration and revival in your soul. I, I pray that for you. I pray that for me. I pray that for all of us. And so just first thing I want to say as we, as we ease into fall, that you're welcome. Last week, we continued uh, making our way through the New Testament book of Mark. Uh, we started uh, a sermon series in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, at the beginning of the year, and we knew that it was all told that it was going to take us about 50 weeks to make our way through Mark in the way that we wanted to. Um, we went through the first five chapters at the first, during the first quarter of 2022, and then we stepped out of Mark for Easter and for, uh, through the summer, and then we restarted Mark just last week as we began uh, stepping back into it in Mark 6. And so from now until Advent, we, uh, which is the se- Advent's the season surrounding Christmas, we are going to make our way through Mark chapters 6 through 10. And we'll finally finish up Mark in the first um, half of 2023. And our main purpose in going through this gospel is simple. We want to understand what it means to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. Well, we got together with the, with the teaching team, the other pastors, and uh, uh, those that preach on a regular basis here at Christ City, that was the, we, we sort of brainstormed, okay, what's going to be our main purpose? We came up with some real high and lofty goals, and at the end of the day, we ended up with, we just want to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Boom, brilliant, minds blown, hearts stirred. <laughs> That's it. Individually and collectively, we want to deepen our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. 
to follow him in our day-to-day, in our week-to-week, in our seasons-to-seasons, to to follow Jesus in our working and resting, in our living and dying, to follow Jesus in our studying and striving, to follow Jesus in our relationships, the the beautiful ones, the terrible ones, the the in-real-life ones, IRL, as young people like to say, I'm keeping up, uh, or the ones online even. Like We want to follow Jesus in the Spirit uh, in our pursuits of peace and justice, to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives and every sphere of our lives. And that's the reason why we're going through Mark. We're going to take, a, going to take the slow road through it. The anchor verse for us, as we make our way through chapter 6 through 10, comes out of Mark 8 and verse 34. Jesus is talking to his disciples, but there's also other folks that are kind of surrounding Jesus as well. And he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's quite a challenging invitation uh, from one who was the incarnation of the God of love. Take up your cross and follow me and do that every day. Whoever wants to follow Jesus, they must deny themselves and embrace the cross, uh, an instrument of death and pain and of humiliation. And yet, if we are to deepen our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives, we have to reckon with the discipline and struggle and the laying aside of our own pursuits and embrace the life that Jesus is offering to us. Uh, a, a couple of months ago, um, I had just really a, an amazing trip. Um, my, some of you know this. Uh, my middle son, Elias, and I, we went to Peru and hiked Machu Picchu. Now, um, we, I didn't hike the whole thing, like, you know, it takes days, months. You could, like, the Inca trails are like the Roman road. They're just everywhere. So we just did, like, one little section. And, uh, but it was a hard one, like, probably the hardest one of, like, <laughs> like all of the Andes. I'm like, that's the one I want to do. Um, <laughs> we hiked a section of the Inca trail that um, takes you up through uh, the Sun Gate and then down into Machu Picchu itself. We started at 7,000 feet and then we went up to 9,000 feet and then back down to 8,000 feet where Machu Picchu is. Um, and, and the thing is, like it took us all day to do that, like six hours. Like I think Elias like probably would have run, just like sprinted it on his own. But I'm like, you'll miss things. So I moved more slowly so that I could... <laughs> enjoy and embrace and breathe the oxygen that was eluding me at those altitudes. He was able to see things that he couldn't at his quick pace. We eventually made it, and I remember us sort of crusting the sun gate, and I remember sort of standing behind, I didn't show a picture here, but I remember standing behind and, and, and wanting to watch Elias arrive at the sun gate, which is the, the gate that overlooks the valley. I wanted to watch him arrive there ahead of me, just to see him sort of Walks it like just like oh like just was like oh man let me let me pause here and take a picture of this thing that's happening and we sort of made our way back down we just lingered there for a while after having this all day hike and sort of struggling and suffering our way through this and then we we start to leave we go down to um, sort of descend from Machu Picchu itself and then we go down into the town of Aguas Calientes where we we're going to stay the night and. As we're sort of making our way, all these like shuttle buses full of people, like Instagrammers, are just showing up and like bailing out and walking up into Machu Picchu and like taking pictures. And they're like wearing really nice clothes and they're not hot and sweaty and they look really and they smell good. And I'm like, yo, I didn't know you could go this way. (laughs) 
And I'm like smug looking at him. I'm like, yeah, y'all didn't, y'all, y'all didn't, y'all just well like put some Machu Picchu on the green screen. Y'all didn't really, our vistas were different. Our, our views, even though we were sort of looking out and we had similar pictures, how we arrived there was, was just different. And it changed the way that we experienced that place. And uh, when I look back at those pictures, I don't just think about the pictures, but I think about the journey that we took to get there. I think in some of that is what Jesus is trying to say to us in Mark 8, 34, that for us to follow Jesus, it's just a different road. We don't get to take the shuttle bus through the kingdom. We... Um, I want to jump into the story that uh, was read earlier in Mark 6.30. The story that we're jumping into, um, it opens up, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And we've got to ask sort of kind of straightway when we step into the story, well, what, what had the apostles done and, and what had they taught? And in order to know that, we actually have to look back um, earlier into chapter 6 and recall a scene that we explored in the spring of this year. What took place in those earlier chapters is that Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples um, and he sent them out to put into practice the things that he had been displaying in front of them and the things that he had been teaching them. He wanted them to go out and uh, to teach about God's kingdom and to display the characteristics of that kingdom. In Mark 6, 6 and following, Jesus sends out the 12 and he sends them two by two. He sends them in pairs because the work of the kingdom isn't done by oneself. And then Mark records that when the disciples, when they return or when they're sent out, verse 12, And they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. So that's what they did. They they went around. They went around telling people about the invitation of God's kingdom. And when they encountered those that were in bondage to the schemes and snares and traps of the enemies, well, they, they, they liberated them. And when they came across those who were sick or suffering, they offered healing. So that's what they did. Jesus sent them out two by two, and this is what they did and what they taught. And then when we jump into verse 30, where Mark continues the story on the backside of the Mark and Sandwich, if you remember Drea talking about sort of uh, Mark is writing a story, and then he'll sort of put another story in between this one continuous story that he's trying to tell. Last week we talked about uh, John the Baptist beheading. That is slipped into this larger story of Jesus sending out the twelve, and they return back. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. All, the, all this preaching and all this casting out of demons and all of this healing that they have done. And here's what's, what's, what's curious about this is news of Jesus' power and Jesus' authority it begins to spread. News of the works of the disciples and the accomplishments that they were able to secure by the power of God. And so a crowd begins to form. And Jesus does something quite remarkable in verse 31. The apostles gather around verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, what they, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And so he said to them, come away. With me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. The disciples, are, they're returning from this amazing experience. And, and the crowds are swelling. And there's a ton of momentum that's building and that's surrounding Jesus and his presence and his teachings. And his ministry is growing. So much so that the disciples and Jesus, they're so busy they can't even take a lunch break. And rather than seizing up on that momentum and harnessing and leveraging that for greater impact and for increase and expansion, Jesus takes the disciples away to rest and to reflect and to simply be with him. 
goes to a quiet place, goes to a solitary place, right in the midst of everything that's, that's beginning to sort of catch fire around Jesus. I think this is instructive for us. <clears throat> our aim in this series is to deepen our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in this moment, in the, in the crowd and in the crowdedness of this moment. And Jesus is reminding us that what it means to follow Jesus is to simply spend time with Jesus. Friends, what sustains our faith and what sustains our lives will be regular rhythms of getting away in a solitary place with Jesus. The one who proclaimed a new kingdom and invited us into that kingdom and, to demonst- and who demonstrates what that kingdom is like. If we are to sustain in life and in faith and it, what's required uh, to sustain us and strengthen us and replenish us and anchor us and center us, our rhythms of getting away into a solitary place with Jesus. And to break it down just really practically for you, what, what I mean is daily, weekly, and seasonally, regular rhythms of being with Jesus. Daily moments spent in prayer and in Scripture and with the Lord. Moments on, on the train or before you fall asleep or as soon as you wake up. Or just take the first seven minutes of your lunch break. And I say the first seven minutes for no particular reason, but that if I said five, you'd be like, oh, yeah, five minutes, and that's no such thing as a five minutes. So I'd say seven, so maybe that you'll stick with me. Anybody? You, you got me? Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Good. It's a holy number. I just made that number up. But just time of being with Jesus on a daily, in a daily way. Weekly times where you break the pattern of work to remember that God is your sustainer and God is your provider. And this includes gathering with your church family here in this place. And I know all of us are making our way out of the isolation of the pandemic. And that isolation has done something to all of us spiritually. We're finding our communal footing as we gather weekly. And we come to this moment in person as well as online. And we want to remember God's goodness and God's promises to us. In Christ, a weekly communal gathering with Jesus, it's, it's a practice that, that will have sustenance for us. But also seasonally, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to, to plan personal quarterly retreats. I, I realize that sounds quite prescriptive. It's a practice that the staff um, holds. It could be a full day for you if you have the privilege to do that, but perhaps a half day can fit it to a morning where you make your way to Anacostia Park or to Lincoln Park with a journal or a Bible and just pray and read and just to be present. Maybe you're more of a walker, like my man Antonio Love over here who walks the whole city every week. And you just want to walk. You want to walk through the city or you want to walk through Rock Creek Park and just use that time to simply be with Jesus. Church, here's the deal. We live in a city where there are 17 free museums, galleries, and zoos. All of them great places to spend just an hour or two with Jesus. Spend time with him. On top of that, there's 30 national parks located within the district. All of them free and all of them um, accessible by public transportation. All great places to spend a half hour with Jesus. And maybe this is a new practice for you. You're like, I don't know. Like, if I go and be with you, then what? Guess what? You're in luck. More luck is coming your way. Over the years, um, here at Christ City, we have written and published a number of journals and prayer guides to help you with your walk uh, with Jesus. We've written prayer guides, guides to help you keep Sabbath, 
A day of rest. We wrote a guide to assist you in your understanding of your story in light of God's story. There's a 14-week curriculum that Pastor Justin wrote that covers the basics of Christian faith. There are creative prayer guides, journals. Uh, for those of you that are like, I don't like to write words, but y'all like to draw images. We have one of those. We like to read poetry rather than journaling prose. And if none of those work, we have a Christ City branded blank notebook for you to just go take to one of those 30 parks and just write your own stuff. If you want any of those, I have brought them all from the office, and they are on the table just outside. If, if there's not one, then let me know. We'll get you another one. One of the things that I've been thinking about over the past few weeks is uh, how much time do I have left in 2022? How much time do I have left in this year? We have just over 100 days left. 105 to be exact if you don't count today. What if we committed the next 100 days of simply being with Jesus? Not only in the moments where we have spare time, because what in the world is spare time? But in the midst of the push and the pull of life, when the crowds and the projects are all around you and your time is so gobbled up by the whoosh of the day that some days you don't even have time to eat. Just like it was for Jesus in Mark 6. In the midst of such a season, what if we committed ourselves to being with Jesus daily, weekly, and seasonally? How might that change us and change the way that we finish out this amazing year? Jesus gets away with his disciples for a bit, but they don't stay in the solitary place on the boat. We used to have a small group that met on a boat. It was great. I wasn't a part of it. could only fit a few people. I was <laughs> jealous of that. So Jesus gets away on a solitary place with a boat. Perhaps we should get a boat, Pastor Justin. I don't know. I, mean, I think so. <laughs> Keep it down at the wharf for spiritual reflection. Jesus gets away, he returns with the people. And what's interesting, when they return back after this beautiful moment of being just with Jesus and kind of on their own, they, they come back and, and immediately they are overwhelmed. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him and said, Look, this is a remote place. They said, It's very late. Send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered, You give them something to eat. Immediately after this time of like reflection and solitude, the disciples are faced with thousands of people who are hungry. And the disciples, they're overwhelmed. They aren't sure, like, what to do when faced with so much hunger. And their response to Jesus is to send the people away. They, they see the need, and they immediately believe that they're not the ones who address that need. The disciples, they want to refer those in need that are right in front of them to some other place, uh, to some other people, in hopes that that other place and those other people will meet that need. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down right here? Right? Somebody shows up in need in your place and you want to put them on a bus and send them to another place because you don't want to meet that need. And Jesus is like, he doesn't even acknowledge what they've said to them. He simply responds, you feed them. 
I don't think it's that Jesus is unsympathetic to this challenge that's in front of them. And he certainly wasn't unsympathetic to the, to the people. Mark notes in verse 4 that, that Jesus had compassion on them when he sees them. 34. Jesus is keenly aware of the depth and the reach of the needs of the people. Yet he instructs the disciples to feed them, to minister to them, to, to, to meet their needs. And church, listen, it can be incredibly overwhelming when we begin to stare down the needs that are right in front of us. When we begin to stare down racial injustice and education inequity and inequality and mass incarceration and gun violence. And this is to say nothing of the needs that just show up in your own personal lives of family members that fall ill or careers that become upended on a whim or financial challenges or neighbors that we meet with no sense of God's invitation in their life. And seeing those needs can overwhelm us, just as it overwhelmed the disciples. And still, I think what Jesus would say to us in those moments is feed the people. Meet the needs in whatever ways that you can. Yesterday, we fed popsicles. (laughs) Praise God. Today, the bread and the wine, juice. Next month, first Tuesday of the month, we're going to feed children pizza and homework help at the minor PTO. Could use some help with that. A few days later, on October 10th, during the Teen City Retreat, we're going to feed teenagers community and godly mentoring and time to process what it means to be a young person in Washington, D.C. and follow Jesus in that place. A few days after that, on October 15th, we're going to partner with the Washington Interfaith Network for a strategic bus tour of the city to see the progress that's being made or not being made in the development of affordable housing and learn ways that we as people of faith can continue to advocate for quality affordable housing to be built in this city and in this very neighborhood. We have new parents in this room. We have uh, families uh, that uh, have family members who have been in the hospital for over a month in this room, and both of those populations of folks within our body, they need feeding. They could use meals from their church family. Needs being met in small group on a daily basis. And your neighbors in your neighborhood, folks that, where there's needs. And I think what Jesus may invite you to do is to feed them. And you may be sitting there, and you're listening, you're taking note or two, and you're thinking, okay, great, got it, be with Jesus, perfect, solitary place, boat, like that, be faced with immediate overwhelming needs, not sure about that piece, can we go back to the boat, uh, no, you got to stay here, okay, well, fine, great, I want to follow Jesus, feed him, what, like how, like what, where, like, and I have, I don't have much here. What, what do I do? Good that you ask. Brilliant question. Normal question. The disciples asked that too. Verse 37, they asked him. They said to him, uh, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to him to eat? Jesus asked, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Got to do an audit. See what's open up the cabinet. See what's there. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. I just love that the disciples, like, they didn't even say five loaves. They just came back, like, you know, like, <laughs> they're just, I don't know, just, like, channeling their inner loonies, and they're like, I got five on. That's all I got. What? <laughs> and some fish, Jesus. <laughs> he tells them, go and do an asset inventory. Let me know what resources you're able to marshal to meet this need and meet this demand. 
think what Jesus, how Jesus responds uh, to the disciples, what he says to us is just use what you have. Not asking you to use what you don't have, just use what you have. The disciples say, we got five, we got five, we got five and some fish. They brought what they had. They just brought whatever it is that they had to, to bring to bear for the needs that were in front of them. I got a buddy of mine, uh, his name is Daniel Harris. Uh, he's been at Christ City, he's preached a time or two before. Um, Daniel is a, a, a brilliant theologian and minister. Uh, he uh, is an individual that has cerebral palsy. He's currently working on a doctorate degree exploring a theology of ability and disability. Um, I learned so much about what it means to sort of bring your assets to bear, your resources to bear in facing uh, uh, the needs of the world and the beauty and brokenness of the world. One of the things that Daniel uh, often uh, tells me is he, he's, mobility is a bit challenging. He walks with a deep limp. It's, uh, one hand doesn't uh, work quite as well as the other. He lives on his own in downtown Memphis and would walk him around. I'm like, how do you get to know, you know, how do you get to know your neighbors? He's very much a kind of a staple in, in the community. He says, well, what I do is when I get to the door of my building, I can't, it's hard for me to open it. Like, it's hard for me to like pull out my keys with one hand and then to reach over and kind of open because it's a, uh, apartment building. He said, so I got to wait for a neighbor. I just asked my neighbor, hey, can you open the door for me? And he says, I go and have breakfast at the same coffee shop, Kawa Coffee Shop in downtown Memphis. He said, I go there every, every day and uh, I, get, I get a breakfast sandwich. Uh, I've told Daniel he needs more vegetables. If you listen to this podcast, Daniel, you should eat more vegetables. But he goes, he gets his breakfast, uh, his breakfast sandwich, and he, sa- he says, Matt, they, they set it in front of me. I can't, I, can't, I, I can't cut it and eat it. So I ask a friend to come. I ask the owner or somebody to come and cut it up for me. He says, what I do is I just move through the day, and it's my vulnerability that I use. That's the resource that I bring to bear to meet the needs that are all around me. You see, I think in a room like this and in a city like ours where, where power and access to power are so valued and it's a commodity that's traded, I think that we often think, okay, when I see needs, what are the resources, what are the strengths that I can use to bring to bear against the needs of the world? And, and, and I wonder if what Jesus might invite us to do is to say, don't bring your strengths, bring your weakness. Don't bring your excess, bring your lack, and let that be the thing that the Spirit uses to feed those around you. Don't just give always out of your strength or out of your expertise or out of a position of power or privilege. That may be what the Spirit wants to to use in us to meet the overwhelming needs of our city and our community and our lives isn't our strength but is our vulnerability. For is that not the way that Jesus entered our world and met our need? The story goes on, verse 41. Then so what Jesus does, he receives the bread. They give him the bread. They give him the fish. And I'm sure they're like, all right, what? What? How? What? what here. He's like, whoa. Hold my beverage. First thing Jesus does, he gives thanks for the resources available. He thanks God for the gifts that were given. Verse 41, taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Jesus doesn't look at the smallness of the offering. He doesn't chastise the disciples for bringing so meager of a resource. Rather, he thanks God for what's given. I got a buddy of mine, 
Sam Sainert. Sam um, is in recovery. He's a recovering alcoholic and uh, has been sober for a number of years, uh, primarily through his engagement with Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember a few years ago, I was at a birthday party uh, at Sam's house. It was, it's one, one of the most raucous birthday parties I've ever been to. It was Sam and like 40 other people that he knew from AA, all of them drinking Orange Crush. I don't, I guess that was maybe, I don't know, Orange Crush was a thing. And they, they like, there was a bonfire. We were like in this kind of suburban neighborhood. And like, I remember leaving the party and looking back at the house and I could see the flames of the bonfire over Sam's house. And, but, but when I was there at the party, I, I realized that um, half of the men that were there, they owed their lives to Sam as he continues to sponsor young men who are finding their way towards freedom. Sam, uh, he meditates and he prays each day, and, and one of the things that he tells me is, like, every morning what I do is I just want to begin the day by cultivating gratitude. I want to be grateful for what God has done in me by rescuing me. I want to be grateful for what God is doing now by keeping me on the path of sobriety. And so he's like, what I always want to do, I just always want to cultivate I want to cultivate gratitude. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about cultivating an attitude of gratitude as a, as, a necess, as a necessary ingredient to maintaining sobriety. It says, if you forget the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. Sam, um, <laughs> I don't know where Sam got like a label maker, but he got a label maker. I borrowed his car one, on one trip, and he took a label maker, and then he just put, uh, be grateful right now, like on his, like, steering wheel of his car because he doesn't want there to be a place and he neglects to cultivate gratitude it seems that jesus is showing us that part of what it means to follow him is to develop a practice of thanksgiving and gratitude even for the smallest of things when faced with the enormity of a challenge to cultivate a place of thanksgiving a place of saying god I thank you for this. I thank you for this moment right here. I've had a rough, uh, I've had a rough week. I won't go into um, all of it. Um, I'll go, go into this one just for sympathy's sake. Uh, I've been having plumbing problems at my house. Um, I, some, a couple weeks ago, um, something burst, and there was a waterfall, a little water feature in my living room. And then, yeah, that was great. I, I, I feel that. That was like a balm for my soul. <laughs> And then um, the other day, I came back, Friday, I came back from uh, bringing my son from home, and there, it, was the, it was back. And I'm like, oh, perfect, brilliant. I'm so mad. Can't wait to get to H Street Festival. Um, but I remember driving in the alley of, uh, to, to pick up some things, to get some coolers of popsicles. And I remember coming through the alley, and there was one beautiful, giant, I don't know how it ended up there, sunflower in the alley that had grown and had bloomed, and I was like, be grateful right now. Praise God for that. I don't have a waterfall anymore. It's fixed. At the conclusion of the scene, what Jesus does is he takes the fish and the loaves, and what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't just pass them out on his own. What he does is he, he receives it, he blesses it, but he's not the one distributing it. He passes the food to the disciples, and they're the ones that give the food out to the hungry. Verse 41 again, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. 
Jesus resources and he equips his followers for the things that they need to minister to the people. Jesus doesn't do it alone. Jesus doesn't do it without others alongside him. And he's the Lord of the universe. Even Jesus ministers in the context of community and equips others to do the work of the kingdom. Jesus wants to co-labor with you and he wants you to co-labor with others for the sake of the kingdom. This invitation is a few things for us to consider as we reflect on what it means for us to simply follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. Spirit, thank you for this, for this moment. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this season that we're in, God. I pray that, that you would lead us, that you would, um, that you would minister to us, that we would know um, the nearness of you. And God, as we've, as we've just looked at a passage that in some ways may be quite familiar to us of Jesus feeding the thousands that are in front of him, but God, I pray that you would have stirred something, that you might have renewed something in us as we consider and reflect on what it means to follow you. God, I pray that you would show us the spots where we need to just be with you, just to spend some moments with you, remembering who we are in light of you, listening to what you have to say to us about us and about our lives. And God, I pray that we would take notice of, of the needs around us. God, that we wouldn't flinch, we wouldn't look away. God, but that we would look at it knowing that you are with us. And God, that we would respond. That we'd, we'd use what we have. And we'd even bring what we don't have, God, and lay it in your hands so that we might more rightly reflect the kingdom, the characteristics of that kingdom. God, help us be thankful. Even in the midst of hardships and struggles and hard roads, we've got to walk. Help us, be, help us express gratitude. Help us to see the gifts that are scattered all around us. And Lord, remind us that we're not alone. Following Jesus isn't meant to be done in a solitary way. God, whatever of those movements are ours, is a first step for us, God. Let us take that faithful first step. Use these next hundred days to shape us in ways that we might not be able to imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.